Well, everyone loves the Noah story. I've never met anyone who doesn't love the Noah story. It is uh, on murals everywhere. It's in poems. There are kids' books everywhere. I'm sure if you've got a family with kids or grandkids, there's always a Noah book on the shelf. The BBC has rewritten the Noah story. Let me read you what they wrote. The animals go in two by two, the elephant and the kangaroo. The animals went in three by three, don't ask. The ant, the wasp, the bumblebee. The animals went in four by four. The hippopotamus got stuck in the door. The ant, no, no, I won't do any more. What's missing in the modern Noah story? God. God's missing. Sin is missing. Judgment is missing. Whenever you find the modern Noah story on Instagram or on YouTube, you will find a playful adventure about a man and his family on a boat with some animals. Noah has been sanitized. He is now very politically correct. The real version of Noah in the Bible, as it was read before, is awful. It's a horrific picture of cataclysmic judgment. It's God's judgment against evil. And so tonight, there's the Noah story we want to hear and the Noah story we need to hear. The Noah story we want to hear has Noah as the hero, a mythical man who saves cute animals. The Noah story we need to hear tonight is the unsanitized picture of God, who is judge and saviour. Now, Israel, who got Genesis as the original readers, they really needed these chapters because they were living in Egypt and there were lots and lots of false gods in Egypt and Genesis was helping them understand who the real God is, a full picture of him. And likewise, in the 21st century, we need a portrait of God that is 3D in full HD. And that's because you can't reduce God to a hashtag. Everyone in your school or university or TAFE or work will just want to hashtag God. He is hashtag love. God is love. Or God is hate. How dare he look on homosexual people like that? He's just hate. Or he's sexist. He's too pro-men. Or he's kind or loving or nice or whatever. We love to just reduce God into this nice little box. But the real God doesn't fit in a box. As you read the Bible, he explodes out of a box. He is thoroughly good and completely just. He's abundantly loving to us and powerful beyond all words. He's a righteous judge and a completely fair saviour. He doesn't fit in a box or a hashtag. But we need to know who the real God is if we're going to honour him as his people and trust him as his people and obey him as his people and we're going to introduce the real God to the people of Orange and Beyond. Because the the people of Orange and Beyond do not need hashtag God. They need the real God, the God of the Bible. So tonight we're going to explore the real story of Noah and we're going to see an unsanitised picture of God 
It's hard to hear this. We're going to do it in four points. Ready? God's judgment, God's salvation, the shadow, and two important questions. Here we go. God's judgment. The real story of Noah, again, like last week, stands with Noah stepping back and looking over creation or humanity. Have a look at verse 11, chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. Whenever the Bible says something three times, you just got to notice it because it's very deliberate. And what it means is sin is everywhere. When God steps back, he sees the racism that we see. He then sees the sexual immorality, the utter abuse on women at the moment. He sees the selfishness that happens online, offline. He sees the vulnerable exploited, the poor ignored. He sees the corruption of the world because everyone is living for self and God's good word is ignored. Never think sin is like a blemish on a wall where if you just get some paint, you can fix it up. No, no, no. This is like the blue screen on a PC that says that computer is now corrupt. Humanity is corrupt. And if you were here last week, you know how we got there, don't you? Go back to verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. We came to church tonight and we often feel pretty good about ourselves. Because we set our bar at like ankle height. I'm doing okay today. But when God in his absolute purity, moral perfection and goodness opens the bonnet and looks at your heart and at my heart, he sees a morally diseased human capable of doing incredibly good things. You have, you have done great things this weekend. Much of you have done selfless things. But the poison of sin infects every thought and action. God sees a sin-shaped world. And so go down to verse 13. So, see that word, that two letters? So, so is really important. It means therefore or then. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Who is God? He is not a sadist who punishes innocent people. He never does that. He's not a Disney character, mindlessly optimistic about the world. The real God cares about evil. The evil in your life and the evil in our world. And he is grieved by sin. And because he is good, he has to judge sin. Now, stories of this flood that we read in Genesis are actually found in nearly every culture in the world, ancient culture in the world. And one remarkable parallel, this is just fascinating, is um, to the Genesis account is in the Gilgamesh epic, Tablet 11. There's a picture of the stone on the screen. You, if you ever can go overseas ever again, you can go and see the stone. It's incredible. 
and it tells the story of a great flood. And it tells the story of a heavenly council of gods led by Anu and Inil, who get together, these gods, and they say, we've got to destroy humanity because they've had far too many babies and they're too noisy. Okay? And then what do they do? They say, we're going to send a flood. We're going to have a storm. And so they send the storm, but then they lose control of the storm. And then all these gods, they get really scared of the storm because they can't control it. And then there's a human character that does a hero, etc., etc. So much parallel to Genesis. But look at the real story of Noah in the Bible. Put your finger on verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. Down to verse 17. I am going to bring flood waters on the earth. Chapter 7, verse 4. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth. Who's the real God? He is totally in control. The flood is his event. There is only one God, Israel. There is only one God, 21st century Australia, and power belongs to him. We must never think there's a God out there who is fearful or greedy or jealous or annoyed at us being noisy. The flood is his judgment on evil. Now, some of you tonight, if you thought about the flood, you may think, oh, is it a myth or is it history? Is it a global flood or is it a local flood? Great questions to ask. Okay. Now, what, as I said before, interestingly, virtually every indigenous culture in the world has a story about a great flood. We can find in the Far East culture, the story of a great flood in the North American Indians in the Middle East. If you've ever watched Planet Earth 2, great, great, great show for insomnia. David Attenborough is standing there on the beach on the Great Barrier Reef. You can imagine it, his drawl voice, and he says this sentence. In the Aboriginal accounts, there are records of a great flood many millennia ago. Now, the writer of Genesis, they write the flood account as history more than myth. And we pick that up because he keeps using real names, numbers and dates. That if you were ever to study the myths of the ancient Near East, you don't find that sort of stuff in there. That's just not how you write myth. He describes a comprehensive global judgment. Have a look at 7.11, chapter 7.11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. At God's command, the waters burst forth from below and above. It's like standing in a shower on full as water comes up through the drain pipe. There is water everywhere. Every bore exploded. Underground oceans that are under our countries exploded. And then the heavens dumped. Water, water, water. 
What's happening here is in Genesis chapter 1, if you remember when Greg spoke about, about that, God powerfully stretched the world so that he separated land and water. That's how he made the world. What's happening here is God is going click, seatbelt off, water back. It's an act of decreation or uncreation. God is letting it go back to an uncontrolled, chaotic state. And in verse 21, he says this, Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. The waters triumph. All flesh is destroyed. Everything with a nostril wiped out. God, the giver of life, takes the life away. Who is God? The flood is God's proclamation to the world that he is against evil. Never think God keeps the flood in the back of his cupboard like a skeleton. Well, I really messed up that. No, 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 no. The, God, the flood is a proud moment of God's justice. His good justice. We lose perspective on evil. God never does. Point two, salvation. At least we've got a hero. Noah, the great saviour. Captain Noah and the SS Enterprise coming in, saving the day. Is that the picture you've got of Noah? Maybe it's this picture you've got of Noah. That's better. You see, in all the kids' stories and the Gilgamesh epic, the human is the hero. But in the Noah story, this is how big Noah is. He's little. Have a look at chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Noah is described as righteous and blameless. Now, if you're not sure what those words mean, righteous and blameless in the Bible mean that this person is a God-fearer or a person of faith. They have integrity. They do what they say. But they are not perfect and not deserving of salvation. And we know that from the previous verse. If you look at verse 8, we, we look at there and when God says, God looked at Noah and gave him favour. God chose to save Noah for his purposes. And so, guys, did you notice, um, did you notice what Noah said in the story? Nothing. Didn't say a word. Did you notice what Noah felt in the story? Nothing. You see, we don't know anything about Noah in this story. That's how big a character he is. Because the true story of Noah is not a brave human building a boat versus an angry God. The real Noah story is how God saved an unworthy man and his family. And the flood judgment, as comprehensive as it is, isn't the end. God acts by grace to save. So put your finger on verse 15 of chapter 6, 15 of 6. God said, Noah, 
This is how you are to build the ark. God designed the monstrous boat. 135 metres long. Go one football field and then a third. 22 metres across, 13 metres deep. 450 standard semi-trailers could fit inside of it. This is the place of safety in the judgment. Put your finger on verse chapter 7, verse 8. Chapter 7, verse 8. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, here's the key word, came to Noah and entered the ark. We're told three times in our story that God caused the animals to come to the ark. Please don't ever mock the Bible and think Noah went around and collected two mosquitoes, two lions, two mice, no troubles there, two... Do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't, that's not the story. Noah's just standing there and God said, come, and all the animals came into the ark. And then what? who shut the door of the ark? God. God lifted the door, sealed it shut. He made it the safe place. Chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark. Before the rains came, God made a promise. And he said to Noah, I'm going to save you. You aren't going to speak a word in this story. So who's God? God is the judge and God is the saviour. And who's Noah? He is not a saviour. He is not a pre-Jesus character. He is simply a man of faith. You know, Noah, all he had was the bare words of God when God said, build a boat an enormous boat in the middle of orange with no chainsaws, no cranes, no ocean around, no sign of rain. I love verse 22 of chapter 6. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You see, Noah trusted God's word and did what he says. You may be thinking tonight, what is faith? They talk about this faith word a lot. What's faith? That's faith. Faith is not jumping off a cliff and hoping you're okay. No, no. God, faith is listening to God, doing what he says. Noah is an example of faith. He was an example of faith in the violent world of the Nephilim. And he was a, he trusted God's word as he was constantly mocked for obeying God and building a boat. Those of you at school, you know what it means to be constantly mocked for being a Christian. I have a 10-year-old now, and he's already starting to tell me he just gets mocked for being a Christian all the time. It's not persecution, but it's just there. That's what happens when you obey God's word. Noah is a model of obedient faith. He's a contrast to Adam, an example to Moses, and a model to us. So point three, the shadow. 
I don't know about you, but reading the Old Testament sometimes leaves you feeling the same way you feel at the end of those movies that are just dark or the books that just have no happy ending. You know that feeling? Like if you've ever seen Schindler's List, you just feel gross at the end. Or if you've, um, you've watched Romeo and Juliet, it kind of just ends like that. Or if you've watched Star Wars Episode 1, 2 or 3, it just feels just dark. And You see, judgment is hard to read. Lucky we're going to the New Testament next term, right? No. Because look what Jesus says about Noah. Jesus says Noah is a shadow of the promised kingdom of God. Have a look at it on the screen. Jesus says this, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus says to the Pharisees and he says to us in the 21st century, remember the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, everyone was partying, going to the coffee shop, playing their sport, living as if nothing was wrong. They didn't think, they didn't even have a care for God in the days of Noah. And then the flood came. And Jesus says that is a shadow of the future kingdom of God. God's promised kingdom, when he will rule over a good place, it will come through judgment of sin and wickedness. Now, please note this. God is not telling you a lie. There will be no flood. you hear about that from Greg next week. It will be a fire. To Peter... By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day. A few weeks' time, there'll be a full stadium for State of Origin. Massive crowd. Every single person in that crowd will face the justice of God. Tomorrow you guys go to school with hundreds and hundreds of friends. Every single one of them will face the justice of God. Everyone here at 6.30 tonight will face the justice of God. What hope is there when there's a dark shadow of judgment coming? A few years ago, I was captivated by Obama, loved him, read everything he ever wrote, listened to every speech. I was captivated by the fact that he just keeps saying hope. There is a better life out there than the one that the Americans had bought into. He promised a better future for all. But after eight years, we were all left a little bit disappointed. He was disappointed. Actually, every human institution, every human leader promises hope. But they always leave us disappointed because evil is too embedded. And so some of our world just go back to partying, back to coffee shops, back to living for sport. 
But the real story of Noah provides an alternative shadow of real hope. One that's not about justice avoidance. You see, God looks at us and says, you need an ark. You need a place of safety in the coming judgment. And Jesus offers that place. If you're not sure what happens on the cross, let me tell you, at that cross, God is utterly just and he justifies sinners. What does that mean? It means that Jesus takes the guilt and just punishment for all of your sins. What that means is that if you're a Christian, your judgment day is in your past, not in your future. Because at the cross of Jesus, if you trust Jesus, God declares you not guilty forever. We talk a lot about salvation as evangelical Christians. We want to be saved. Are you saved? What is salvation? I want you to know this. Real salvation can only happen with judgment. They're the two sides of the same coin. Salvation and judgment are on the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And the death and resurrection is the place of judgment and salvation. And it will not leave you disappointed. Jesus Christ is the ark. The place of safety for all believers. You are not safe by just coming to 6.30 or youth group. We are not safe by our baptism or good deeds. By putting your trust in Jesus, you enter the place of safety and your judgment is in your past, not in your future. Two important questions to finish. Here we go. Number one, is your picture of God too small? If you've ever felt embarrassed by the judgment of God on sin, whether it's greedy people, sexually immoral, immoral, selfishness, whatever that is, if you've ever felt embarrassed, you are not alone. We all have. Because God being a judge is an unpleasant thought. But it only happens when we have a small view of God. Because deep down, you really don't want a God who doesn't care about sin. You want a God who cares about sin. And Genesis 6 and 7, they fill out our picture of the real God. The real God of this world is holy, he is just, he is a judge, and he is a saviour. And we see that most clearly when that God hangs on that cross as judged and saviour. That is the cross of Christ. God is the judge and the saviour in the same point. There is never a contradiction in God's character. There is no evil in his judgment. He is not safe, but he is good. Our holy God deals with sin. If you get that tonight, if God explodes out of your box, then you will leave here tonight with humility 
not embarrassment. Because a full picture of God shuts our mouths. And our hearts then explode in faith. And in wonder. And in praise. And in good fear. Not bad fear, good fear. And in love. None of us will worship a God in a box. But the true God of the Bible is worthy of every single thing you've got. Is your picture of God too small? Secondly, is your judgment in front or behind? I did the wrong hands then. Is your judgment in front or behind? That's fine. The real story of Noah is a powerful wake-up message that God will judge. So really, seriously tonight, you're sitting here, is the judgment of God on your sins in your past at the cross of Christ or in the future when you meet God face to face? There's no maybe in that answer. There's no like, ah, oh, I'm not sure. There's no fence to sit in. It's either one of those two options. Because tonight, if you've realized that your judgment is in front of you, then you can change it and put it behind you by becoming a Christian. What is a Christian? I'm a Christian. I've turned to Jesus. I've asked him for forgiveness from my sin. And he has said, I take your punishment on the cross and you are now in the place of safety. That's a Christian. And if that's you tonight, become a Christian. There's nothing better in the world knowing your judgments in your past, not in your future. And fellow brothers and sisters, those of you who know that it's in your past, you must never forget that fact. Because when you are in the ark of Christ, you're always safe of judgment. You'll wake up one morning feeling terribly guilty. Put it in the bin. Your judgment's in the past. You'll wake up feeling inadequate. Put it in the bin. Your judgment's in the past. You'll have a really bad day. Your judgment's in the past. Look at the screen. There is no condemnation for those who are in the ark. None. The cross of Christ is completely sufficient for God's judgment. He is never, ever angry at you. Justice is done. So what do we do? We walk by faith in God's word. Just like Noah. We do everything the Lord says because we trust him. And as Jesus did often in his day, we walk into school and work tomorrow and we know that a whole bunch of the people we love have justice in front of them, so we warn them kindly and gently and lovingly that they're going to meet their God on judgment day. But the real God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The great news for the world is the place of safety is Jesus our Saviour. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for a wonderful, clear picture of you tonight. It's not easy knowing you are just and holy. But we know, Lord, that that is who you are. 
and that you are good and that you are so gracious to offer us a way out of a fair judgment on us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who received the just punishment for our sins and gives us the place of safety in judgment. We know there's no better place to live than with Jesus. In his name, amen.